This is Reimagining Healthcare, a podcast about innovation in the healthcare industry. It's a show for healthcare business owners, for healthcare professionals, for industry investors, and health tech entrepreneurs. On the show, I talk to health tech and healthcare innovators to uncover how they're reimagining and building a world of seamless digital healthcare experiences and how that fits into people's lives. I'm your host, Yanni Sapanos. Today, I'm speaking with Chris Naomedes, co-founder and co-CEO of Mindset Health. It's a mobile hypnotherapy program that helps people manage and improve their health. Chris shares his journey after a very stressful period of his life that led to discovering hypnotherapy and moreover discovering a mountain of evidence supporting the effectiveness of hypnotherapy when combined with common mental and gut health therapies. We talk about the evidence backing Mindset's digital therapeutic apps and how they help therapies sink in and support new habits for clients. For modern health practices, having a relationship with clients beyond the appointment can be very challenging and often not as reliable or effective if the client is not adhering to the therapy. Evidence-based digital health therapeutics provide a set of tools that practitioners can incorporate to support their clients in between the appointments and get access to never-before-seen insights and outcome measures. Meanwhile, clients can incorporate their therapy into their lives in a more easily accessible way, helping them build skills known to manage and even prevent their healthcare issues. If you've been wondering how to modernise healthcare beyond the appointment setting and build better and more valued healthcare service experiences for your clients, or even thinking about translating researched, evidence-based therapies into pragmatic digital health therapies, you'll get a lot out of this discussion. Let's jump in. Well, hey there, Chris. Thanks for taking some time out and coming along to have a chat about uh, Mindset Health. How are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks, Yanni. That's fantastic, mate. Before we get into where you're at with Nerva, tell us a little bit about the journey of Mindset Health. What got you into it and what's it been like over the the recent two or three years that you've been going at it? Yeah. So at Mindset Health, we build digital therapeutics for chronic health conditions like irritable bowel syndrome, anxiety, depression. Um, And we mainly focus on hypnosis-based interventions. Initially, we actually started, so even before Mindset Health, Alex and I, so co-founder and brother, we started as a company called Covet, which helped women rent their wardrobe very different to healthcare and like <laughs> it wasn't really an industry that we were, I guess, made for. And so we ended up killing it after a, like six months of working on it, six months of launching it. And following that, we actually fell into a period of more stress and anxiety and self-doubt. And there was a lot of like areas in our life where we weren't necessarily happy, including our mental health. And it really sparked this idea of like, hey, mental health isn't really looked after well. There's a lot of stigma. There's a lot of inaccessibility. There's a lot of areas of improvement. Can we work and build something in that sort of area which could speed up the process? We stumbled across hypnosis. We were looking at different sort of solutions and different sort of treatments. And our previous exposure to hypnosis was clucking like a chicken, mind control, stage hypnosis. It was all these misconceptions and stigma that were once associated with meditation. And the more and more we dive deep into hypnosis, it was like, okay, this has a huge evidence base and is a sound medical treatment as a way to amplify different therapies. Can we, in the same way that Carmen Headspace brought meditation to the mainstream by packaging it in the modern, a secular, and a beautiful and effective product, can we do the same for hypnosis and hypnotherapy? And so we ended up launching a product called Mindset. And so Mindset is a broad range of sort of hypnotherapy programs focusing on different conditions from anxiety, self-doubt, stress, worry, negative thinking, depression, sleep, very broad in a similar sort of functionality or way that you might think of like meditation apps, so Carmen Headspace, but very much focused on more of a 
outcome focused, specific health conditions type of way. And then about a year after launching Mindset, we started to realize the value of hypnosis compared to something like meditation is not in a broad, necessarily a broad product. It's therapeutic outcomes for specific health conditions. And that's where we stumbled across our next sort of area, which is irritable bowel syndrome, where there's so much evidence behind hypnotherapy as an effective way to manage and treat IBS. And so we were like, okay, what if we can work with someone who has done a lot of research behind this area, has a program that has been science-backed, and we can work out a way to digitalize it into an app and provide it as a more accessible, more enjoyable, more modern experience for people. And then about a year ago, that's when we launched Nerva to do just that. That's great, mate. And look, we'll come back to Nerva. So, so you personally, when you were in one of your first startups, you uh, ran into some anxiety of your own. You, you were feeling fairly stressed. Is that what you were describing there with your brother in terms of leading you down the path of discovering some, some ways to actually deal with your own kind of healthcare issues? Is that, did I understand it properly? Yeah, 100%. So it was actually more tied up with when we killed the company. So we killed Covet. And initially, like we didn't expect anything to happen to us sort of mentally. But I guess what happens is if anyone's built the company before, you'd know your sort of identity is pretty tied up with what you're building. And when that identity is shut down or like ripped apart, it leaves you a bit ripped apart. And so we fell into this period of self-doubt of like, okay, are we the people to build companies? Are we the people to be able to create stuff and anxiety about sort of our future? And so that's when we looked and try to look down different paths of how we could start managing that. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, I can definitely relate to that. There was a, a time in my earlier life where a startup didn't go to plan and I really connect with what you're saying there. Yeah, it's interesting you actually use some words that when I talk to friends and, and colleagues about what it takes to uh, lift yourself out of those kinds of situations. You know, you talked about your identity and how it's sort of tied up, you know, with your perception of what happened with the company. And I profoundly relate to that because I think it's really key and a lot of people don't really understand that when you haven't started up a business or you haven't actually gone through difficult times when it comes to business. I really appreciate you uh, sharing that story. I think it's really important for anyone who's looking to start something up or try and enact their entrepreneurial vision on something that doesn't always go well. And you sort of got to be able to roll with the punches and, and regroup and learn from the experience. And it sounds as though that's exactly what you did in terms of pivoting. You used your own experience basically to become aware of other things where potential opportunity existed and incorporate that into what you're doing next. So it's a, it's a real credit to you and your brother there. So well done for that. That's amazing. Thanks. And it's definitely something we're actively trying to do a bit differently with this next company. We are definitely still tied up our identity to the company itself. Like I think part of that's a good thing. But when you're waking up in the morning and looking at the metrics and then your day is determined by what those metrics say, that's not healthy. And so that's the sort of separation we're making. That's fantastic. You got involved with uh, the Y Combinator Accelerator program and with Startmate in Australia. Did you find uh, they were very supportive of that prior experience that you'd gone through and, and were able to add value into the process of actually separating the metrics, as you call it, from your own mental health? What was that like? Definitely. So I guess the Startmate experience and the YC experience were pretty different. So we initially went through the Startmate experience, I don't know when it was, I think 2018, middle of year 2018. And that, that experience really taught us that there's a lot of other people that are doing similar things and going through the same sort of experiences as us. And that, that sort of cohort effect where it's like, because you know you, people are going through the same sort of ups and downs and exciting moments and challenging moments, it means that you can lean on each other. And I think that was consistent with YC as well, where it's like, advisors are great and advisors are awesome to come to with feedback and advice and to improve your company. But the people that really understand what you're going through are other people doing similar stuff. And it may not be in healthcare, it may not be in the same industry, it doesn't really matter. It's just the fact that there's a group of people that are trying to do something that most people think won't work and 
you're doing it because you believe and you know in your heart that it will. And I think that was that was the key difference or the key sort of thing I have now with relating to Startmate and YC. And then in terms of the actual programs themselves, like the cohort was awesome, but the ability to go out and reach out to people that have built huge companies and people that have worked in like the healthcare space and done amazing things through both Startmate and YC is like that's where you can really take advantage of the ecosystem and the benefits. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it definitely it definitely pays to surround yourself with people who have been there and done that and can actually reconcile your journey because you know when when you're in the heat of the moment, you're not sure whether anybody else really has been there and done that. You're not really sure what what it feels like looking from the outside in. All you have is your own experience. And so that can be uh, quite quite overwhelming and huge. So but to your credit, you know, you've been able to pivot out of that original startup idea and now you've set up Mindset Health. You've had some interesting success with the first product, which was the Mindset app. Tell us a little bit about the process that you went through and, and what Mindset is doing for uh, for consumers. Yeah, so when we first launched the Mindset app, it was really just like a very simple product with different content on different areas. So we initially started focusing on taking a step back and focusing on like self-esteem, self-confidence, less of the more diagnosable issues and less of the more severe mental health issues in a way to act as like preventative. And we still think we definitely fulfill that role now. But I guess the biggest thing that changed over time with mindset was we started realizing when we started off, we started working with some psychologists, but also some coaches, some people that weren't necessarily, we didn't have the same necessarily evidence backing or evidence behind our sessions themselves. And we didn't realize the importance of it over, until at the very start. And so going through that experience with mindset, we realized we needed to work with the best. And so we started working with Dr. Michael Yapko. So he's world-renowned depression and anxiety expert, literally writes the textbook on clinical hypnosis and the use of clinical hypnosis in therapeutic means. And so what we've done with Michael is we've helped digitalize his content, which is some of the best in the world, and put it into a mobile app. That means you can access it at any time whatsoever. And I think that that word access is probably the core of like, not only mindset as a company, but as the whole thesis as a company where it's like digital health means you can make therapy that was once inaccessible, accessible. And so for the mindset app, let's say you're, you're, you're seeing a therapist once a week, but you can't necessarily see your therapist every single day to work on the stuff that you've worked with that therapist. You can't necessarily see the therapist every day to help you fall asleep at night, for example, to um, help reinforce the stuff that you've worked on during those sessions. And so something that we try to provide with the mindset app is a way that you can work on your mental health and build the skills known to manage and prevent mental health issues with evidence-based clinical sessions that are short enough that you can do when you want to and are useful enough between sessions but also separately to help make us like a strong improvement to your life. Absolutely and I think a number of years back one of the uh, armchair critical observations of the digital health therapeutics was not being able to actually back it up with research and I think that that was perceived to be an Achilles heel with digital health therapeutics there at one point in time. But what we're seeing now is that the the research is actually catching up. You know, we're actually seeing a lot of evidence developing in the community that actually support that digital therapeutics are highly effective and equal to, if not better in some cases, than uh, traditional therapy um, delivery. And you've actually put quite a bit of that research on the website, I noticed, talking about CBT or cognitive behavioural therapy. You've talked about how hypnotherapy for stress and depression and anxiety and other mental health disorders works. Did you feel the need to actually, because you've got a ton of content there that's actually evidencing the validity of the claims with the digital health therapeutics. Did you did you feel a need to actually really overdo that and make sure that everybody really knew that there was plenty of evidence on this? I think that like it, it's an important part of building a company right now, whereas there's 400,000, I don't even know how many, 400,000 like, health apps that 
have some sort of, whether it's therapeutic claim or working in a therapeutic area, and most of them don't have evidence. The vast, vast, vast majority of them have no evidence underpinning what they're doing. And that's that's what you were talking about before, the Achilles heel of an industry. And what we're starting to see is the people that do have evidence are starting to separate amongst those group of people down below. And so we're, we're really trying to position ourselves as a company that is evidence-backed and that is one of those companies that can provide not only evidence of the industry as a whole and the evidence behind our sessions in the creation of them, but also in the sessions themselves. So looking at how does how does someone's experiences, like what do people experience after going through our program? Like how does that change over time in terms of like symptom reduction, quality of life improvement, like any type of like health outcome? Because we, we really want to position ourselves as a company that's doing it for the right reasons and with the right evidence, not as a company that doesn't have that. Yeah, you definitely want your users to to be able to get some value out of what you're doing. Now, you've had over 150,000 downloads on that particular app, the Mindset app. Um, user ratings are very strong, five-star ratings, 75% of your users, and with over 700-plus uh, reviews. What was, the, what was the journey like in working with somebody like Dr. Michael Yapko in actually trying to translate his approach and his therapeutic methods into a digital app? What was that like? I think if we even look back like three years ago, three to five years ago, like you were saying, people didn't think it would be possible to translate therapy into an app. Like that was unheard of in terms of like a healthcare perspective. It was the physical presence of a therapist means is going to equate to whether something's effective or not effective. But we're starting to see like evidence that that's not the case, like you were saying. And so when working with Dr. Yapko, it was really like, how can we replicate the process as much as possible in a similar way and provide the same sort of, the same sort of methodology as in person without needing to... I guess changed too much. And and that's where we really found hypnosis was most effective, where the delivery method of hypnosis in compared to in person compared to in an app is much sim- more similar to something like even CBT, for example. So like if you think about like an in-person ther- uh, hypnotherapy session, it's you go into the hypnotherapist session, you close your eyes, you lie down and you listen to someone speak and they walk you through a process. There's not much necessarily like client to provider engagement to the client to therapist engagement in terms of like personalizing the session at the time of the session itself. And when you look at into the app itself as well, it's close your eyes, put some earphones in and listen to someone speak. So the actual process of how to do the therapy is very similar. And so that's why like hypnosis compared to something like CBT, where it's very effective when you do in person, but the actual replication of it in an app has to be done in a different mechanism and it's less known that it will work, for example. And so we, we really like the audio deliveredness of hypnosis and hypnotherapy. And we really focused on that with Softy Apco. And then it's replicating this sort of information around the sessions as well. So educational content before the session, educational content after the session, providing them with exercises like deep breathing exercises, tasks that they could do during the day, and sort of just trying to replicate the experience as much as possible. Did you find, though, that it was always necessary to try and replicate that experience, or does digital health give you an avenue to actually reimagine the way the therapy could be delivered, given that you're no longer constrained by needing a real-world setting in order to deliver it? What was that like? I think that's the important part of what digital therapy actually is, is that, like I was saying before, the problem with necessarily therapy is that the person can't always be with you. The therapist can't be in your room at night. The therapist can't be in your room in the morning. The therapist can't necessarily be with you when you're having a panic attack. And so the experience is really much, it's much more scheduled and on demand, whereas the experience in a digital therapy product can be reactive as well as proactive. So you can have those sessions that are once per week, for example, or once every every two weeks, however long you want to structure it but you can also have the reactive ones. So based on how that person is currently feeling and changing over time, we can then adapt 
the sessions, the program, the way that the content's delivered to then fit their new cycle. And, and that's the sort of like the feedback loop of an app, which works where it's like, okay, we can see that your symptoms are reducing over time by following this session. We can now like adapt and change and create the program to be more effective and personalized to you yourself. And so it really is like, we get much more information with a digital product. We get much more, I guess, coverage in terms of the person's life. We don't necessarily have to always be there in person. And so I think that's the big thing. It's like, how can we increase the accessibility of therapy so that the person doesn't necessarily have to follow a schedule or book months in advance and can work with a digital product which can respond to them in real time? I think it's a really key point because there can be a little bit of fear from health practitioners around the idea of being replaced in therapy. And it's not really about that, is it? It's, it's just basically that the in-person therapy statistically has an adherence issue. You know, there's challenges with people actually staying committed to the treatment plan and, and staying on track, so to speak. And there's a real blind spot for, I guess, traditional non-digital therapies where you don't actually know what your patient is doing outside of your appointment and you're relying on them actually to be truthful and have a very vivid recall in terms of uh, how they remember what the last week or two weeks or month was like, you know, for them. So there's a great deal of risk of error or a lack of appropriate information that can actually inform the, the changes that are needed in therapy in order to get that person to where they want to be as far as their goals are concerned. Uh, so I think it's a really poignant point that the digital health realm gives that ability to be able to provide those insights in part. I mean, we're not talking observing somebody 24-7 uh, and having that capability. That's, that might be a bit scary for some people, but certainly within the context of what the patient is consenting to, there's feedback systems that are providing key information to a practitioner that would otherwise just not be available to them. And, and, and that's sort of how we think about ourselves. We're not, we're not replacing therapists and we don't want to replace therapists. Like they have a very, very core and functional role on the healthcare system itself. But there is, a, there is, like you said, a problem with adherence. There's a problem with information. There's a problem with understanding and getting your client to continue working on the skills that you built during the session, for example. And so like, well, that's why we're noticing a lot of therapists. So therapists will conduct a session in person with the client and then we'll use the mindset app as homework. And so use the mindset app as a way that you can engage with your patient and set goals. You can tell them to do X, Y, Z sessions, and then you can come back into the session. You can, one, you can get data on how they've been doing. You can get insights on whether they're enjoying the sessions themselves or how you maybe should adapt or improve your session next time in person. And, and like we sort of see it as like by extending the ability of the therapist to help their client. And, and that's really the core of what we think is like the consumer-focused healthcare, where it's how can we make the experience better for both the consumer and we believe that if we can make the experience really good for the consumer, we can create really effective products. Everything else is aligned in terms of incentives. So like therapists, providers, dietitians all want effective products so their consumers are happier, so their patients, their clients are happier. Consumers and clients and patients obviously want effective and like happy and uh, engaging and, and products they actually love to use. Insurance companies, they want products that are effective and engaging. The incentives are aligned with creating good, effective products that people enjoy and people love. That's a really good point, really good point. I think if it's not obvious in the term digital health therapeutic, the, the idea is there that it's a tool within the practitioner's toolkit to be able to work with their, their patients in a, in a way that is innovative, that actually is more enduring in terms of what happens in between the appointments, in a way that provides better feedback systems. And also, in a sense, coaches or, or helps the client to build new habits in their lives, which ultimately are the, the healthy habits. Uh, or the habits that will lead to a better health outcome for them, if only they could actually make those changes. There's a really 
powerful idea in digital health therapeutics and how that could actually be used by health practitioners today. You, you actually uh, openly uh, encourage practitioners to come towards Mindset Health and engage with you. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so we're really starting to build depth into our like, provider program, which is essentially um, we want to make the experience really good for providers to be able to refer and work with clients with our products. At the moment, that looks like we provide as much information about the products themselves. We also provide a discount link that they can share with their clients and we also give them full access to all the products for free for them to use and trial themselves to see if they're effective, which we know they are, um, and two, if they enjoy it, which we know people do. And so we're really just trying to make that experience of referring really easy and um, useful to providers. In the future, we're looking at building a product that will help this process of referral, but also bring in that feedback loop from the client to the provider. So an ability that you can send information on the usage of the products themselves to the providers to help inform your next appointments to organize review appointments around the actual product themselves and to work with your clients because we think that they're as we were saying before a fundamental part of the process we're not eliminating the uh, the providers themselves we're acting a way to extend their ability absolutely and from what i can tell you're also uh, using an outcome measurement framework where you're actually able to demonstrate both to the practitioner and to the uh, subscriber of the application progress over a period of time and demonstrate, I guess, the uh, the difference between the pre and post utilization of the digital health therapeutic. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that outcome measurement framework that you've got built in there? Yeah. So at the moment, our outcome measurement framework is built within the Nerva app. So we don't necessarily have it within the Mindset app yet, but we're looking at building it in soon. In terms of the outcome measurement, what we do is when someone starts the program, they go through a set of questions, which include their history of IBS, their demographics, what they've tried as like a normal like history sort of aspect themselves. And then afterwards, we ask them questions around uh, specific symptoms. So how their physical symptoms are across a range of different symptoms on a zero to 100 scale and same with zero to 100 scale on their anxiety and depression scale. And then when they finish the program, we ask them the same questions. And so we ask them the same sort of exact same number questions and do a comparable of like how that changed over the start to the end of the program. And currently we're seeing really good results. Fantastic. So that might be a good segue into uh, Nerva. So mindset, pretty uh, pretty established. It's out there. Practitioners can incorporate it into their toolkit of therapeutic options to actually build better engagement models in the long run with their clients outside of the appointment structures that they've traditionally had in place. And now you move into Nerva. And in particular, this is about uh, chronic IBS yep. management. So tell us what, what was the inspiration for that and what's led you into kind of this gut health pathway? It all started, so Alex has celiac disease, and so we've always been interested in the sort of gut health industry itself as a way that we could help that. Unfortunately, hypnotherapy doesn't and shouldn't work for celiac disease, as celiac disease is like an autoimmune response, but we've been familiar with IBS for a while, and we know that, that it's a horrible condition to suffer from, and there's not many good solutions at all. And to do, when we were looking more into the research of hypnotherapy, we found that I, the gut treatment hypnotherapy is one of the most effective treatments for IBS. And the other treatments, uh, such as like the low FODMAP diet, is often like considered like a gold standard. And when looking into the research, in an actual Monash study itself compared gut treatment hypnotherapy for IBS management compared to low FODMAP diet for IBS and found that they were roughly 70, both the same with like a 72% effective uh, like a response rate. And so these two treatments are effectively very similar in terms of effectiveness. And we were really interested because we know that the area is obviously a horrible area to like actually suffer from yourself and there's no real good solutions for it. And so we were looking at, okay, 
initially we were looking for can we work with the actual person who ran that trial who's dr simone peters who ran that trial comparing hypnotherapy to low fodmap and after about like four emails and trying to get a meeting with her we ended up closing and working with her for our program itself and so we've replicated that six-week program in a way that was actually shown with the yeah so the actual study itself replicated into a mobile application and yeah so that's nerva it's effectively the same six-week program but it's turned into more of a digital health product and so it's more of a adjusting to them real time day by day basis rather than how the program was structured but it's the same content and yeah we're seeing pretty similar response rates compared to the in-person trial with the actual app itself it's a very good model it's very consistent with um, what i espouse as a good way to go forward it's really important to get the health practitioners involved in digital health innovation as early as possible it's definitely been a hallmark of what we're doing with health tech x as well it's definitely encouraging practitioners to come along and get involved in order to support what it's like to be a practitioner and how, you know, what are the problems, what are the opportunities that they're actually identifying coming up against that we can actually use technology to address that in some way and then sort of work through the experimentation framework to actually get the result and demonstrate that it is effective or tear up the idea because it's not going to be effective, you know. So I think it's important to have that. So I really commend you on that. I think it's great that you're actually uh, doing a similar thing where you're saying to practitioners, come along and engage with uh, Mindset Health. There are other apps, other digital health therapeutics that could be developed. But as technologists, we're not going to build stuff willy-nilly. We need to know what the actual practitioners think, what the science is saying, what the evidence is uh, leading us, what direction that is taking in order for the system to be developed accordingly. So I think it's a real credit to you guys for intuitively aligning with that. Can I ask you, you mentioned FODMAP. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so the low FODMAP diet is an elimination diet created by Monash University. And effectively, the low FODMAP diet means that there is some high FODMAP foods, which FODMAP is a type of carbohydrate which um, causes distension and expansion in your intestines, which because of the hypersensitive nerves in the gut for people with IBS, um, it can cause pain, diarrhea, pretty much it causes flare-ups and all the symptoms themselves. And so if those symptoms cause food, the idea with the low FODMAP diet is can we avoid those those foods themselves to, that, that cause the symptoms and then eventually reintroduce those foods over time as a way to desensitize the gut. And so the, the, they're just specific types of foods that don't respond well with IBS people. And so by avoiding those, you can stop the response, I guess. And so, um, so that study, was that sort of comparing hypnotherapy as an alternative to a low FODMAP diet? What was the study about? The study was comparing it. So the the control was the low FODMAP diet. So it was comparing hypnotherapy, a six-week gut-treated hypnotherapy program, to the low FODMAP diet. And it showed that they have roughly the similar uh, sort of response rates. Wow, that's amazing. And uh, so in terms of benefit uh, for practitioners out there who are listening to this, is, is it that introducing a low FODMAP diet takes time to actually tune it and figure out what foods are going to work and what what should be avoided and hypnotherapy gets you there faster. Is that kind of the, the value proposition? There's a couple of things. So the actual low FODMAP diet is very intensive in terms of if you were going to stay on the low FODMAP diet um, forever, you would be malnutrition. You have to sort of reintroduce that over time. So you have to work with a dietitian and the low FODMAP diet, like we're big proponents of the low FODMAP diet itself. And a key area is like for some people that don't necessarily want to do the low FODMAP diet. And so doing hypnotherapy, providing hypnotherapy is a separate option is, is one way to take it. Um, the second the second sort of way is there's a lot of people that shouldn't do the low FODMAP diet. So, for example, people with potential susceptibility to eating disorders, doing a highly restrictive low FODMAP diet is not a good way to solve it. Pregnant women, for example, is another one. Highly anxious or highly conscientious people 
potentially aren't a great fit for low fragment diet, but maybe a good fit for hypnotherapy. So I guess it's more like it's a tool that you can use in the, in the situations where you may want to use it. Got it. All right. So that's key. It's basically, it's the practitioner gets uh, another tool in the kit bag to be able to work with a given patient in terms of uh, their circumstances, their individual uh, circumstances, and be able to determine what the best approach is to assist this person in order to manage that particular issue. Yeah. And it's also part of that integrative approach. So I, I guess the difference between the low fat diet and the hypnotherapy was the hypnotherapy was also shown to have a reduced of anxiety and depression. And so if we're looking at taking more of like an integrative approach or holistic approach to helping someone manage IBS, uh, people often do provide, like we see a lot of therapists or dietitians provide both the low FODMAP diet and the hypnotherapy at the same time. Fantastic. And so Nerva, again, similar model where uh, practitioners can uh, partner with Nerva and incorporate the Nerva app into their recommendations. Is it very similar to what you were describing with the Mindset app earlier? Yep. So very, very similar model. They can get free access. They can get their own unique link that they can share, which gives a discount. And they can get all this information on Nerva as possible um, by going to our website at mindsethealth.com. Yep, brilliant, brilliant. And what's the uh, consumer experience? What's what's the patient going through? Just walk us through what would happen when a consumer actually downloads the app. Yep, so the experience would be the consumer downloads an app. And as I said before, they would answer a few questions on their demographics and IBS history and their symptoms themselves. And after that, they would start a seven-day trial, which would give them access to the program seven days for free before having to pay. And then after starting the program, they can choose to link with a healthcare provider, which would be the consent where if they choose to give consent around information and sending that information to the healthcare provider, such as like a, a dietitian, a GP, anything like that, then they would start sending that information. And then the actual program itself is like a six-week gut-rated hypnotherapy program. Each day they come back into the app with a set of tasks. We found that making it very prescriptive as like a setting tasks per day and a very like these are your tasks for today come back tomorrow after you finish these ones today is very good for increasing patient adherence and so consumers get uh, it could be a psychoeducation so a reading an educational reading a breathing technique so a deep breathing technique and a hypnotherapy each day and they come back the next day and get the next day's content and so by the end of the six-week program they've gone through and listened to about six weeks of hypnotherapy learned about the gut-brain connection ibs hypnotherapy and like the stress symptom cycle and learnt tools such as deep breathing techniques to be able to handle flare-ups in the moment as well. Fantastic. And you're also doing some in-app chat for customer support. Is that at a technical level or is that also supporting their uh, their therapy in any way, shape or form? It's mainly at a technical level, um, that makes but sense. also just as like a sort of a Q&A level. L less therapeutically, not, not necessarily as a coach, but as more of a should I be falling asleep during my session, for example, which is no, you shouldn't be falling asleep. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that classic IT dilemma, you know, my computer's not working, you know, is it, is the power on, you know, that was kind of one of those one-on-one techniques that a lot of IT support <laughs> people would actually ask the question. So where to next? So you, you've got the mindset app, you've got the Nerva for IBS. So it's quite a focused therapeutic application there. What's, what's next on the product roadmap? Yeah. So sort of core to our company is that we think that there's, a ridiculous amount of research in research places all around the world and especially in Australia that is undervalued because it's not being utilized. It's stuck in either research places themselves or a very select few clinics that can afford to provide it. For example, so we go to IBS, we looked at Dr. Simone Peters' clinic. She's either six or nine months booked in advance. So it's like ridiculously hard to be able to get some time with a gut rate hypnotherapy if you're going to actually look for that intervention itself. And is why that gut rate hypnotherapy isn't provided as a first-line treatment is because of its inaccessibility, even though it's just it's been shown to be just as effective. And so this sort of like research angle of like how can we sort of work with researchers that have these programs and have these areas which it's been shown to be effective, 
how can we get those programs and create, like create digital products around them and make it accessible, enjoyable, a great experience for both the consumers, which is our number one priority, and two, the providers. And so, yeah, the, the next sort of issues we're looking for are the mind-body connection issues. So, for example, we're looking at chronic pain as an area that we're focusing on, and we're also looking at post-menopause hot flashes. Both are two areas where hypnotherapy has been shown to be really effective and there isn't really good solutions or treatments for it. We could look at the opioid epidemic in the US. We can look at hormone replacement therapy side effects. And if there was an option that had way less side effects and was just as effective, inexpensive because it was through a digital product and enjoyable because the consumer loved to use it and is enjoyable and it gives that feedback loop and um, gamification of an app where people can use it, then these will become more and more used over time by consumers. And we, we sort of see ourselves as building like a portfolio or a platform of digital therapeutics that are effective for specific health conditions. Starting with like IBS and mental health, so nerve and mindset, and expanding to chronic pain, smoking cessation, post-menopause, hot flashes, bruxism, and many other issues that have been shown to be effective. Sounds as though you've got a couple of things there where, so you're using the research to, to rank and prioritise there in terms of what things to look at next. So you've got chronic pain management and you talked about a couple of other things in line. So is that sort of your sense of priority at this point in time on what you'll focus on next and then after that move on to the next thing and so on and so forth? Similar. So it's research is definitely one part. Research is a filter. So we, we have researchers, okay, if there is no research behind it, we just wouldn't do it for now. We may in the future start creating our own research as like the underpinning thing rather than relying on external research. The bigger thing when, when we know that research has already been filtered through is, is there a big consumer need? So if the issue is very easily solved by drugs or by exercise, for example, or a different, like any specific thing that doesn't need a digital health product, then just because there's evidence doesn't mean we, we should and need to build it. We know chronic pain is horribly managed and mainly because there isn't really good, effective, easy to use solutions. We know that postmenopause hot flashes, it's not a great experience to live through when you can have 20 hot flashes a day. And there's effectively shown that hypnotherapy can reduce 80% of hot flashes after a five week program. And so where there's evidence, and then there's a huge consumer need because the issue is so big, that's where we're really looking. At, at our core of our company is the consumer. Like we, we believe that if we build effective products for a consumer in an industry or an area that there is no effective products, then everything else we can figure out ourselves. I, th I would say there's um, there's so much to do just in the realm of where the research is at at the moment and the evidence. Because I, I agree with you. I think there's so much there's so much that comes out of that research base that just sort of goes wanting because nobody's really enacting anything on it. They're not actually doing anything with it. And yet it sort of just sits there and it could actually make a real difference in people's lives. If only we could actually um, figure out how to either bring it into the culture of he healthcare now or figure out a way to actually provide the tools, as is the case with yourselves, to actually provide practitioners with the tools that they need to incorporate that into their, their therapy programs. So I think it's definitely the, the way forward. So from your point of view, where do you see healthcare, you know, in five to 10 years? I guess you've got your own vision in terms of where you want to get Mindset Health to, but tell us about that. Tell us about your vision and tell us how that you'd see that translating into the way the world's going to look in five to 10 years' time. Yeah, so I think... I think it comes back to the word normal. So I call like what Alex and I always speak about is like alternative medicine that works is just medicine. And we sort of think the way the same way about like digital healthcare, where it's like digital healthcare is just healthcare, like if it works. And the importance of digital healthcare means that you can provide a better experience with healthcare itself. And the consumer, the consumer is obviously normally left out with healthcare because their incentives for people building healthcare companies is often inside payers, and the payers often aren't consumers. So the payers are often 
even less likely to be providers. They're often big insurance companies. They're the big the big payer side of things. Where I think the the, the digital health, digital health will unlock an ability to focus on consumers because we can create experiences that aren't necessarily tied to the payers themselves. And so I, I, when I when I think about the future, it's digital health will one expand our ability to work with consumers on a, such a personal level and expand the reach of healthcare. I guess expand the definition of what healthcare is. Healthcare is prevention. Healthcare is a product that you work on at home. Healthcare is a digital service which helps you improve your life by 1% per day. Yeah, it really just expands what healthcare is, I think, is the core of it. It's a great answer and vision, Chris, because when you think about it, we're already surrounded in our personal lives with digital interfaces. Uh, And in a sense, a lot of other parts of our life are already with us all the time. They're either in the palm of our hand through a smartphone or through our PC, laptop, our TVs, whatever the case is. So if you think about the idea of consumer-centred care, you can imagine that the healthcare system or the centre of the healthcare system is the consumer. And so whatever location the consumer is, that's the centre of healthcare. And the whole system can wrap around that consumer then by using digital health as a way of actually extending the, the front door of healthcare, you know, the clinical setting into the personal life of that individual so that they're, in a sense, supported 24-7. They're, they're, everything's within reach. If they need to get in touch with their practitioner, they can. If they need to uh, schedule something, it's really easy. They can do an online booking. If they need to follow a number of prescribed activities or exercises or nutritional guidelines, then somebody's there with them constantly, helping them through that transformation. And to me, that is really at the heart of what digital health is aspiring to do. So I think it's a real credit to, to you and your brother and the team at Mindset Health in terms of the initiatives you've shown in Mindset and also in Nerva. And I look forward to hearing uh, you know, more to come in time, Chris. Thanks very much for coming in and sharing that story with us. Awesome, Yanni. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Health Tech X, where we are working toward a world of integrated digital health empowerment for all people. If you'd like more info on how to get involved, head over to the website, healthtechx.com.au. Or if you have any feedback about the show, you can reach out to me directly on LinkedIn, Instagram, or email by following the links in this episode's show notes. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to Reimagining Healthcare in your podcast app. And if you like what you heard, leave us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the show. I'm your host, Yanni Sopanos, and I'll speak to you in our next episode.